Welcome to the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight, the podcast where we uncover the secrets of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and visionaries who've used public speaking to skyrocket their businesses and their bottom line. Get ready for captivating stories, valuable insights, and practical wisdom from the trailblazers who've mastered the art of the stage. I'm your host, Kelly O'Hara, and I'm thrilled to bring their experiences and expertise directly to you. Let's get started. back Six Figure Speaker Spotlight Enthusiasts. I'm Kelly O'Hara, your host, and today's episode is set to be nothing but extraordinary. We're diving into the world of effective communication and business growth with a trailblazer who's not just walking the talk, but speaking it too. Our guest today is none other than Chris Spenning, a powerhouse in the field of communication and the man behind Alignment Group Limited. Buckle up because in this episode, we'll unravel the secrets of skyrocketing success through public speaking and effective communication strategies. If you're ready to take your professional game to the next level, you're in for a treat. Now, with further ado, let's set the stage for the man himself. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce a true maestro of effective communication, the one who has turned words into wonders and conversations into conquests, Chris Fenning. Chris is not just a speaker, he's a dynamic force and author with two game-changing books under his belt. His first masterpiece, Effective Emails, The Secret to Straightforward Communication at Work, unveils the secret to crafting messages that cut through the noise. His second book, The First Minute, How to Start Conversations That Get Results, sets the tone for impactful communication from the get-go. In the blink of an eye, Chris transitioned from a corporate employee to a sought-after speaker and trainer, gracing the stages of some of the world's biggest companies. His journey is a testament to the power of experimentation and an unwavering focus on the details that truly matter. Today, Chris is here to share his insights, inspire us to embrace the unknown, and unveil the strategies that have fueled his remarkable business growth. So fasten your seatbelts, folks, because we're about to embark on a journey of communication mastery with none other than the incredible Chris Fenning. Welcome to the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight, Chris. Well, Kelly, thank you for the introduction. Wow, it's it's odd hearing myself played back like that. Thank you. It's a real, real pleasure to be here. Sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? But it's it true. Does. It, if you told me four years ago that that would be the kind of introduction that I was getting, I, I wouldn't have believed it. I would have hoped for it, but I wouldn't have believed it. Well, that's where I love to start this podcast, because I think someone's journey is always it's not only the best place to start, but it lets us all jump on board real quick. So tell me, how did you take, you know, take us back to this pivotal moment that you transitioned from a corporate employee to now a speaker, an author, and a trainer in the realm of communication. What sparked that transformation? Well, as with most changes, it wasn't one thing. There were a few things that came together. Now, throughout my life, I've been a combination of curious and practical. I've always liked things that I can understand. I like a good formula. I like a good way to, to interpret and understand the world. And through my career as an engineer, working in defense and telecoms, that 
played uh, into the kind of roles that I had, project management, uh, I was engineering, technical roles, business analysts. But as my career developed and I became more of a, a manager and a leader in very large companies, particularly in the US, I discovered a bit of a passion for communication. Now, it started off as not really understanding what communication was. It's, I started off by telling, well, just by talking a lot. <laughs> That's what I did at the beginning. And I thought that was good communication. And I was wrong. And over time, I discovered what communication could be, the power of it, the, the problems with it. And all of that came to a head when I became quite ill. Uh, I became ill in my mid-30s. I was in a job that was incredibly uh, high pressure. I was under some stress. I had a young family. My wife was traveling a lot. And something had to give. Something had to change. And at that moment, when I had all these external pressures and I had this internal desire, some people who I know, trust, and, uh, and love pretty well all pointed at me and said, you should do this other thing. You should teach communication. And it was the right time. I was living in America at the time. My family and I decided we wanted to move back to Europe to be closer to the grandparents. We had a very young daughter at the time. She was three. And it all came together at one point. So work pressure, illness, family pressure, the love and friendship that I had, and people just giving me a good poke with a stick saying, you should go and do this. Um, and behind that, I'd been delivering communications training to my teams, to my company, and to others along the way. So all of those things came together, and I took the leap, left America, came back to Europe, and started to make my way in the world of communication. So I love that, but tell me, were there any challenges that you went through with that transition? Because you had a lot of things going on, it sounds like, at the same time. Anything that you remember as, uh, yeah, it sounded like you had encouragement, everything was coming together to send you in this new direction. Did you have any challenges that you had to overcome with that decision? Um, every, every day, I think the easier question would be what wasn't a challenge, which I can probably count on one hand. Um, like, like really most people who go through a transition from an employed job into a self-employed, whether you want to call it an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, an authorpreneur was something I heard uh, recently as well. But somebody who is forging their way as an expert in a particular topic. We all go through a very similar journey. We have imposter syndrome. We have cash flow issues. We have where do I find my clients? Oh, isn't selling icky? Um, and all of those other things. And there's a, a hundred and one thousand different blog posts and articles and people talking about those challenges. I think I experienced most of them, and that's part of the journey. So lots and lots of problems. I, I named a few of them just there. That's so perfect. I think a lot of people identify with that. So, you know, you mentioned in your bio because you know I do a lot of research on the lovely people that come on our show and. And you said that it was fueled by experimentation and attention to detail. Can you share maybe a specific experiment or detail that really had significant impact on your success? Yes. So when it comes to my, my business now and building my, my business as a speaker and trainer and author, every single thing I do is about experimentation. I love a good experiment and I will try anything at least once as long as I understand what I'm testing and what I might get from it. For example, 
to advertise one of my books when it came out, I was approached by somebody on Instagram who said for $100, they would write a piece about my book and publish it to their X tens of thousands of people. I thought, well, $100 is my budget for a random experiment. If I'm going to just have a go at something, I'll spend $100 on it and a little bit of time. So I looked at what he said and I saw some examples of what he'd done for other authors. And I thought, why not? I'll give it a test. And it actually worked out. He posted this and I saw an immediate spike in sales for the books that more than paid for the $100 investment. So I took the experiment to the next stage and did the three, $300 or $400 investment. And that was a terrible idea. It did not pay for itself at all because that particular market had been tapped out. But I ran the experiment and I said, I've got this amount of budget and I will do it for this amount of time. And here's my measure for success. If I sell X books or if I get um, an invitation for a paid speaking gig that's worth a certain amount, then it will be a success. If it doesn't meet those criteria, I won't do it again. And that model is what I do for everything, running ads on different platforms, uh, speaking for free at certain events to certain audiences. I will do that a number of times to see whether it's worth worth my time, effort, and the cost, and the travel, and so on. So everything is an experiment to understand what am I doing, how much am I investing, time and money for investment, and what do I get back from it? And if, if I know the criteria up front, I can tell if that experiment is a success. Chris, this is great. Honestly, I love your perspective because it's a very business-like approach to doing what you're doing. And I love that. The first thing is identifying what's your threshold for risk on this one experiment. I love it, $100. If people thought about it that way, and I don't think they do all the time. They're like, social media, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. Well, you really need to think it through. How much are you willing to invest? And then really track the results. I absolutely love yes. your idea. I think this is great. So- well. Yeah, this it's the is engineer great. I in me. <laughs> I it can't is. help it. It's the it's the engineer. I need that structure. And it's also it's really easy to lose track. If I didn't have if I didn't have a set amount, one of two things would happen. And at the beginning, I wouldn't test anything because I was scared of spending the money. I was I was time rich and money poor. And that's how I started my business. I, I had time to spend on things, but I couldn't throw ten thousand dollars at an advertising campaign. The over the last three to four years, that has now shifted. So what was originally my $100 experiment, I've now got a sense of what kind of things do work. And now I will run a $1,000 or $3,000 experiments, but I won't do 10 of them. I'll do two of them. And they'll be carefully picked having done other uh, sort of smaller tests before. And it comes over time. So anyone listening to this at the very beginning of, of their journey, at the very beginning of their speaking career, don't be afraid to test things, but know what you're spending and know what you're spending in money and in time. And what results will decide for you whether it was a good investment or not? Yes, yes. Oh, thank you for bringing that. I, I should have added that. But yes, knowing what success looks like, what's a good outcome. I've I've recently upped uh, uh, quite a large experiment, which um, in financial terms was a complete failure. I spent four or $5,000 on, on a marketing campaign with a company. And the experiment was a success, even though it was a financial failure, 
because the outcome is I know that I will not do that again. <laughs> that isn't that part of life. It's not sometimes it's not always about figuring out what you can do next. It's about figuring out don't do that again. It didn't work out before. Same variables. I love this. It is about it, defining, it, oh, don't go down that road twice. Once is a learning exactly. experience. The second time it's done. So, oh, yeah. Now, I, I just want to make a comment. I, I mentioned the money side of things. I'm not, I'm not a big money person. I'm, I won't talk about the total amount that I earn. I think what I'm doing is I'm trying to share what it can cost and what is possible. So if I throw out a big number, it's it's not a well, look look I I bought a Lamborghini because I I don't have one, couldn't afford one, I don't want one, <laughs> but it's to give anyone listening to this an idea of what you could spend to to test something out. And I come back to the hundred dollars. If if you can spend a hundred dollars on something, that's a great first test. And if you get no traction at all, consider not not doing that again. Perfect advice. So. I'm going to now ask you about, you have two really interesting books that you've produced that I know of. There may be more, but I know of <laughs> The First Minute, How to Start Conversations That Get Results, and then Effective Emails, The Secret to Straightforward Communication at Work. And you suggest, you know, a focus on the crucial initial moments of communication. What led you to explore these specific aspects and, and how do they contribute to overall effective communication? Ah, they, they have different stories behind each one. So the first minute was the book that I didn't expect to write. When I, when I made this transition from employed to doing what I do now in communication, I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to do. And a core part of my, of my business is helping technical people talk to non-technical people. And that could be marketing analysts talking to sales teams. It could be software developers talking to the, the business teams. But bridging that divide was where I was focused. It's what I did for most of my career. And that was the book that I was going to write with the goal of giving the book away as a business card to get me on stage to speak and train and so on. So that was the, the business model I was taking. Write a book, use, give it away, don't sell it. Um, and get on stage and get in, in training rooms. But every time I sat down to write that book, I kept coming back to, well, before then, you need to be clear and concise and get to the point. Because if you can't get to the point, everything else is, is wasted. And so every time I tried to write the book I wanted, the first minute was the book that was coming out. And every time I worked with someone one-to-one -one in coaching, or I taught somebody, or I taught a team, I always had to teach the first minute first because it comes first. And so I ended up writing it really just to get it out of the way. And it, I didn't expect to, to sell it, but it's ended up being a, a far greater success than I expected. And it's become the ticket to me getting on stage and in the training rooms. So it's doing what I expected it or wanted it to do, but in a very different way. So that's how the first minute came about. And I have a different story for effective emails. But before I rush into that, I, I see you nodding there. I was wondering if, if you had any questions as a follow up. I think that's great because it sounds like discovery is so much part of the process. You know, you've really thought this through, but um, it, you know, kind of the book, that book revealed itself to you that this comes first. This is, that was along the way to, I'm going to do this other thing. But in truth, that book 
really fell into place because it's what was needed and it kind of revealed itself to you. So I love that. I love that story. It did. It on, did. The way to, on the way to what you plan, the road is not always a straight road. And I like that. It's not. And don't be afraid of taking a side path. Don't get distracted by the shiny thing. And I say that knowing full well that I get distracted by the shiny thing. I have squirrel or magpie syndrome. So it's okay to explore a path that's not where you intended to go as long as you do it consciously and deliberately. And you're not constantly going on a walk and taking all these side, side paths that means you never make real progress. Always make progress to something and complete something or get to the point that you know it's absolutely not a good idea. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. So tell me about the second book, the one that was originally intended to be first. Tell me about that book. Ah, uh, that book hasn't been written yet. It's actually coming out next year. <laughs> Effective. I have a lot of, I have a lot of books that are either <laughs> out or almost out. Uh, so the Effective Emails book, I wrote as a proof of concept for a process. Now, I am very process driven. We've already talked about experimenting for sales and marketing and, and so on. But I'm also very process driven for creating my content. And I know that writing a book, creating a speech, delivering a, a, a program of talks or training is a big investment in time. And if I shut myself away in my room and spent time creating a talk, a training or a book and then released it to the world, it might not be what the world wants or needs. So creating in isolation is risky and it's a big investment of time. And so I build my content in public in stages. And the Effective Emails book was an end-to-end -end proof of concept for how to go from an idea through 16 different types of content that culminate in a book, a talk, and a workshop. So oh I got gosh. to test the ideas. <laughs> I love your approach. Very unique, very different the way you go about thinking about this and then moving to the next. I just love this. I just love this. So that book is that book is coming out when? The Effective Emails came out a year ago. Okay, so it is already out. What's, it is already what's out. What's the name of the new one? I, I have, this is probably going to be confusing right? for, for people. I, I need to give a timeline on here. So the first minute came first. Effective, and that was in uh, December 29, December 2020 was the first minute. Okay. December 2022, effective emails came out. And for any of your listeners who are thinking that writing a book is part of their journey, I wrote the draft of this in 11 hours. And it took more work, but it, I got 11 hours for the draft to send it out to people. And it's not a poor quality book. It's won multiple awards. And I have a pretty high standard for things I want to put out into the world. If you do things methodically, you can do things quickly. So December 2022, there's a little sidebar there. December 2022 was effective emails. At the end of this month, the end of, as we're recording this, it's January 2024. I have a book called 39 Ways to Make Training Stick come out. And that is a culmination of the methods that I've learned and worked with some other great trainers around the world for how to make training stick, particularly after trainees leave the room. So that book is coming out 
in just a couple of weeks' time from the moment we're recording this. And then the book that we've been talking about, which is the technical to non-technical communication, is working title is Get Your Message Across, and that will be later in 2024. The, the first draft is well, well, fifth draft is well underway, but the working drafts are well underway. Uh, and I have a bunch of other books after that because books drive talks and training for me. And books help me organize my thoughts and test ideas. And all of that leads to the higher value items of training and talks, speeches on stage, and so on. Well, and you you had shared with me before, and I really want you to talk about this, is that um, there's so many people out there that, I mean, really, the going thought process these days is that books don't make you money. And really, in most cases, that's true, but it hasn't been true for you. You've done well uh, with your books, from what I understand. I'm, I am, I'm one of the rare authors who makes a living from my books. And that gives me the freedom to invest time in trying to get on stage, uh, working with large corporations for training programs and so on. So yes, I have uh, the first minute has just passed 50,000 copies sold in the two or three years since it came out. And effective emails is a year old and it's uh, at around three and a half, four thousand copies uh, in its first year. So um, what and, and, sets and it's fairly consistent. Apart? What sets your your books apart for you as an author, as far as them paying you well, what do you think sets you apart from the others who are using their books to book speeches and do coaching, et cetera? But you had said your books alone really sold well and made you money. What do you think was the key to that? The so first of all, you need to write a book that solves a real problem. And I'm there are lots and lots of answers to that question, that, uh, that, and all of them could be right. So you ask a, a hundred different people who had success with books, you could get a hundred answers, and they can all be valid. So please don't think that what I'm saying is the only way that this can work. But I, I believe in what has worked for me is a few things. First is writing a book that solves a real problem. Because if the book solves a problem, someone will read it and finish it. And nobody recommends a book they don't finish. That's so solve a real problem for the, and, and actually produce something in as few words as possible that gives someone the solution they need. And then they're more likely to finish it. And if they finish it, they're more likely to recommend it. And recommendation beats everything when it comes to selling books. Word of mouth is a one to many. I I've, I have a, a row of books that just just off the camera here on the on the uh, on behind me. These are my recommendation books. They're not communications books. They're not books about talking. These are books about writing books, about growing business. Some of them are about. Um, communication, but these are the books I recommend the most, and I will hold them up on screen. And I've recommended Rob Fitzpatrick's books to, to name drop. He's written a couple of fantastic books about how to write a book and how to create a workshop, which anyone who wants to speak should be able to create a workshop. It's a very natural next step from being on a stage. His two books are phenomenally useful, practical, and so I'm holding them up all the time. And I know at least 20 people who've bought the books off my one recommendation. That's the power of word of mouth. And so the 
doing that sells a lot of books. You do have to kickstart it. So I put time and effort into coming on podcasts, speaking for free. If I've got a new book coming out, I'll speak for free to the right audiences. And then advertising in various means, if you can get it to work and you're not in a hyper-competitive uh, category. Fantastic. Okay. Well, you know, now let's move on because you also do a lot of training, a lot of coaching. I looked at some of the topics that you uh, teach on. Uh, a couple of them are framing your messages clearly every time, how to structure compelling conversations, status updates that people actually listen to, better communication between teams. These are some of the topics that you are known for. Um, any any others that you think are those really super popular and some of the favorites? Yes, those are the, the ones on my site are the most commonly asked for. And I add new ones probably every three months. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, my content creation process means I take uh, what I call communication situations, which are the common situations that we face at work that are really underserved by talks, training, books, and so on. And it's the things that if we could make, if, if we could give status updates that were actually useful, how much easier would my life be? If I could talk to an executive clearly, how much easier would my life be for people in certain roles and certain jobs? And so I look at those communication situations and I use my own experience. I draw on the experience of others and research and so on. And I put together information that helps and helps make those situations clearer, simpler, structured, easy to learn. And then for each one of those, I will create a series of social content. I'll create a series of short free courses to see whether what I'm teaching is worthwhile and whether people like it or where there are gaps. I'll give some free talks. And the feedback and the traction tells me whether or not I should invest in, again, time and money, both of those, invest in a paid course, in a book, in trying to sell this as a topic to organizations, to conferences, to the local chamber of commerce, wherever I, I might be on stage with the right audience. And that process means that roughly every three months, I will launch a new offering on a new particular topic. So the ones on my site that you mentioned are the most popular, but I actually have nine different communication situations that I will speak on, train on, and so on. You are a busy guy. I love that. And all of this has a method and a strategy, which I love. Um, let me now ask you about public speaking and how, you know, that's got to be a cornerstone of your journey as well. That's got to be something that's really impacted you. And, and what role has it played in the growth of Alignment Group Limited? Ah, yeah. So Alignment Group is my official company. I do everything under my brand name of Chris Fenning. It's, it's my name. So if everyone's wondering what's Alignment Group, it's the official stuff behind the scenes because Google doesn't like writing a check to Chris Fenning. It likes writing a check to another company. So that's why I went for the formal limited company or, or PLC, what it, it might be in the States. Now, public speaking on, on my journey, if... Oh, I'm going to be I'm going to be a little vulnerable here for a moment. If anybody Google's my name or looks me up on YouTube, but scrolls on a few pages, not the first or second set of search results, you'll see some of my really 
really early speech work in Toastmasters. And I joined Toastmasters years and years and years ago because I thought it would help for two reasons. One, I thought it would help my ability to speak. And two, I thought I was a brilliant speaker and would knock it out of the park. Well, I wasn't. And the evidence that is still online <laughs> shows that I was not a good speaker. But I got better. And Toastmasters at the time was a was a great mechanism for me to understand a little bit more about the structure of speaking. Now, fast forward a number of years, I became comfortable on stage because I was training in my own department, in my own organization. I would give status updates to the CEO of one of the largest companies in America uh, and to the executive board every month. And I was in a position of regularly being at the front of the room or on a stage. And over time, and with learning and effort, I got better and more comfortable with it. That set me up really well for when I transitioned out of employment into what I'm doing now. And it meant that I was comfortable being on a stage. I was comfortable being in front of a room. I was comfortable delivering important and sometimes bad news, often bad news messages. So speaking was a core component of me making the transition and being comfortable speaking was really important for me to be able to make that transition. Now, here's, here's something that I wasn't good at and I didn't like, being on video. I hated it. Four years ago, I loathed being on video. It would take me an hour to create a one minute video for anything. And it was painful for me. It was painful for the people watching it. It was possibly painful for my computer to process all the stuff that was going on. <laughs> it was just excruciating. And that is a normal thing. Talking to other speakers, talking to other people who train, talking to people who deliver online courses, getting comfortable on video as a form of speaking, as a form of being on a virtual stage, was painful for almost everybody. 95 out of 100 people. Very, very painful. So I gave myself a challenge, which was in 100 days, I would create 100 one-minute videos. And that meant through repetition, I got a lot of exposure on camera. I didn't create one 100-minute video. Because if I did that, I would only have done everything one time. I'd only have set it up one time, only been in front of the camera one time, only processed the video one time. Instead, I said, okay, how do I do lots and lots and lots of this so I can get better? And the quickest way for me was to create one minute videos. And so I did that. And now, if you ask me to give a one minute talk on something on video that was going to go public, I'm now confident enough and comfortable enough to do it. So it's a virtual speaking path that I think many people will need to go on. If they're going to be comfortable being a, a, a speaker in this hybrid onstage virtual world that we're in today. Chris, this is a gift. I want to tell you, this is such a gift to the people who are listening, um, to the introverts out there, to the people that are great with audio, not great with video. I'm in your 95%. And I remember when they were going to do these um, and see real life happens. There's my shepherd back <laughs> letting everyone know. And I can't fix that for anyone. And luckily I've gotten comfortable that, you know, occasionally things are going to happen. But I will say, I, I don't know if they can make that go away, but 
real life happens at this place. So I wanted to say that um, uh, for so many people, that fear is so great, just like you said. And I'm in the 95% and I remember thinking podcasting, audio, that'll be easy. That's very comfortable for me, even though I like one-on-one. But I will say it took me a while to watch the podcast and you know what's out there. So the fact that you shared you did Toastmaster and that some of those videos, the early ones that aren't very good, you're actually comfortable that they're still out there. I am. That was a conscious choice. I had when when I made this transition, I found I, I was setting up my first YouTube account and I found stuff that I'd posted years before. And of course, I'd forgotten the password and I was no longer using that email and I was getting frantic. I can't delete them. People are going to see this. Oh, gosh, this is so terrible. <laughs> and you I described a me, Chris. You've absolutely described me. I'd be looking to pull those <laughs> off immediately. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm getting the, the, the hot sweats and oh, what's going to happen? And my wife said, well, uh, what's wrong with them? I said, well, they're, they're just so bad. She said, so what are you? What, but what's actually bad about them? I said, well, it's my delivery and so on. There wasn't anything in the message that I was ashamed of. These weren't the, this wasn't a, a ranting teenager who would be embarrassed by it. It was just not very good. And so she said, well, so what? So what if someone sees that? Um, plus, you're going to create so much new content. No one will ever find it which would be great if I didn't do things like talk about it on a on a popular show. So I've <laughs> so really only got myself to blame for that. And the one of the reasons I then kept everything, I subsequently found the email address and the password and I was able to get in, but I chose not to delete them. And it's for this, it's for this reason. If people can see the journey that I've go, gone on and can see the like, really bad through to where I am now, which is a little better. And I've got some way still to go. If people can see that journey, they can see what is possible. And here's a tip for anyone thinking of getting into video, starting a podcast and thinking, I listen to these other people. I listen to Kelly and she's she's so polished. She seems so natural. She's comfortable on camera. I couldn't possibly do that. Or they think about some famous YouTuber that they're aware of or somebody who's who's very, very, very well known on any particular medium. Here's the advice. Stop. Go back to their very first published episode. And watch that. Because that's where they began. If you measure yourself now against where superstars are now. It's, it's a huge gulf. Of course, that seems impossible. Measure yourself against them when they started. And I tell you what, I, I get, bet most people are going to say, oh, I could do that. I could do better than that. Oh, this is so bad. I would do this differently. Do that. Go back and see where they were and then be inspired by where that person got to. And if you want to do that using my content, feel free. You could even do it with my recent stuff from the last three years. Look at my YouTube stuff from, from two years ago. It's terrible. I was robotic. I wasn't moving. I'm a communications guy. I should be I should be good at this. But on camera, I was I, I was very still. I was robotic. I wasn't moving. I was very stern. And it's bad. The content, the message was good, but the delivery was awful. The good news is 
video is far more comfortable for me now. And my on-stage presence, very, very different because I was always more comfortable on the stage. But go and take a look at my stuff and, and be inspired by just how far you can come from being, <laughs> from being not so great in the first place. I know people are, as we speak, scrambling, try to, trying to see some of your old content because it will make them feel better. I think that's incredibly giving, generous, um, and helpful to everybody because we do all measure ourselves against the top people. And if you're, and, and really it's about being authentic. Really people relate to that. It's, it, don't you find that if someone makes a mistake or, you know, the dog's barking in the background, there's nothing you can do about it. There's something in the vulnerability of, Hey, we're just going to move forward and all is well with the world and no things aren't perfect and it's just fine be sincere be authentic tell you absolutely absolutely on video and on stage so on video there's a reason that that's important now now more than any time before mistakes are going to be what show us as a human not some ai generated video so too perfect is going to become questionable so i at least that's how i'm <laughs> I'm making myself feel better about Go mistakes. with that. That serves us. We'll go with that. <laughs> and and the second thing is mistakes happen in real life. I was at uh, I was at a, a conference. I was speaking at a conference, and it was a, a packed out room, and it was a couple of hundred people, standing room only. It was really nice. And within the two minutes before the event started, it was a forty five minute talk. In the two minutes before it went on, the projector broke, and somebody smashed a glass of water next to my laptop. Oh, <laughs> so, oh dear. And I had, I had a moment where I could choose how I reacted to that issue. And the technical team was scrambling around putting a, a tiny little projector balanced on a stool in the aisle with cables under people's feet. And then this glass smashed while that was happening. And so there was a quick lift up the laptop and make sure the water doesn't get everywhere. Is everything okay? And instead of choosing to get caught up in the drama, I did a quick check and made sure everything was okay and that I hadn't completely lost everything. But if I had, I still know my content. I could still deliver a talk. There's ways around it. But what I did was I talked to the audience because this was an audience of future public speakers. Oh, and perfect. what I said was, hey, look at what's happening. These things occur. This is the kind of drama that you could be dealing with. And you can choose how you respond to it. So here's what I could have done. Here's some options for how we could have dealt with a, a broken laptop. And just laughed about it and said, well, at least we've got all the bad stuff out of the way at the beginning. Let, I'm sure we'll get through the rest of it without the fire alarm going off. And then everybody stopped and looked up at the fire alarm, <laughs> half expecting it to go in that moment. And that became a great moment that has given me a story that I can then tell you and use in future talks as well. The absolutely. bad stuff happens, real life happens. That absolutely, it's actually a perfect gift to that audience to get to see, here's what you do when everything goes south in that moment. You couldn't have asked for a better opportunity. That would be everybody's worst case scenario. Some people would have chosen the fire. It would have gotten them out of the room. I'd rather have the fire. Right? And lose the presentation. So beautiful that's that's really that's real life so tell me considering all these accomplishments that you've had 
What are you most proud of in your background? Oh, oh, what a question. Well, I, I have a seven-year-old daughter and it really, it goes without saying, but I will say it, that almost everything she does makes me incredibly proud and the way she handles herself. So that's, that, that's, that's the blazing sun of proudness. So if I, if I, with great difficulty, push that to the side and uh, not my daughter, she's still very much there, but push the proud of that to the side and just think about being proud from, from a work perspective, um, I think it's I think it's the two things the the books that I've been able to write valuable books that are helping people and I'm very very pleased and proud to have been able to do that because succeeding with books is an incredibly difficult thing and the second was getting over all the small but seemingly large fears in hindsight they're small but at the time they were enormous all of the fears that stood in my way of getting in front of the camera, of getting in front of a room of people, of getting up on a stage, getting into a theater-sized venue, all of the small things that could, I could easily have said, oh no, I can't do that. I could have used them as an excuse. I could have backed down. Overcoming each of those and being able to consistently move forward a step at the time has... I'm proud of myself for not giving in to the easy, easy answers on those. I love your answers. I'm always curious what a speaker will respond to when it comes to what are you proud of and you know what's your legacy going to be, which you just explained. And what is beautiful is, and really, again, it's, it's across life. What are you, what did you overcome the fears that you had in the areas that really challenged you? And your perfect example of, you know, it's great to have methods and training and strategies and, you know, all these things are so important. What scared you to death and what did you walk through? And, and I think a lot of what you've said today is really going to impact those up and coming speakers. And I always think of us introverts that have to overcome that. And I think this has been an absolutely beautiful interview. What, you know, as you look ahead with the success of your books and your speaking engagements and your upcoming book, what's the next thing on the horizon for Chris Fenning? The you next have thing... new product, projects, or areas of focus that you want to share with our audience? Oh, so many. <laughs> so many. There is, my imagination is bigger than my calendar. And that's a phrase from John Acuff, where the things we want to do far, far outstrip the amount of time we have available to do them. So uh, generally speaking, I will put, put out one or two new books a year for the next five years or so. I've already got most of them drafted and every one of those is exciting. I love putting books out into the world. Each one of those comes with a talk series, a training series, both recorded and in person. And I love teaching. I love going into a room, theater, small room with three people, big room with, with a thousand people. That's a pretty big room. <laughs> I love going in with a group of people who have a problem and leave with a solution and the confidence that they can use that solution and overcome the problem. 
And so in the next the next year, I've got a few things coming out. We talked about Get Your Message Across, which is a, a big, big, it's the thing I started out to do. <laughs> That's going to be coming. I have the 39 Ways to Get Your Message Across coming out in the end of January 2024. I have a speaking tour in South Africa. So if you happen to be in South Africa in February or March this year, if the show is out, come along to, to one of the many events there. And I think that's just going to be what's coming for the next few years, more and more and more uh, big ideas and hopefully helping people with real problems. I can't think of a better way to live life. I think that is so fabulous that you have so many exciting things. South Africa is on my bucket list. So yes, I'll be trying to figure out how to get there in time to follow you, but I will be following you. I got to tell you, Chris, this has just been an incredible journey. It's just a wealth of insights that I think you've shared with us all today. And your passion for effective communication, it is contagious. I mean, your journey from corporate life to global speaker to obviously passionate and prolific author, it's just nothing short of inspiring. So to our listeners, I want to tell everyone, if you've enjoyed Chris's wisdom and you want to delve deeper into his expertise, make sure that you visit chrisfenning.com. And if you go there, you'll find his work, upcoming projects, perhaps a few additional nuggets on communication brilliance, um, because he is clearly, as you can see from this interview, all about it. And do not forget to check out his books, uh, The First Minute, How to Start Conversations That Get Results, and Effective Emails, The Secret to Straightforward Communication at Work. Trust me, these are game changers. Um, you can tell by this interview, this man lives, lives by his work and by his word and words are so important. You know that. So I'm just, thank you so much, Chris, for being here. Oh, thank you, Kelly. It has been a absolute pleasure. And it, uh, if there's one more thing I might, I might add, Please. a lot of the things I've talked about today include my, my process for creating content, how I go from ideas through to books. Um, if anyone listening to this is interested in that, get in touch with me directly. You can email me through the, through my website or chris at chrisfenning.com. I do run a program that it's it's selective. It's not for everybody, but I do run a program teaching that method for how to go from an idea through social content, through courses, books, paid talks, workshops, speaking events, and more. And there's an entire process behind it. So if anybody is interested in learning more about that, get in touch. I'll provide some info. And if we're a good fit, then maybe you can join one of my future programs. Ooh, that sounds fun. I know I'll be checking that out. That sounds magnificent. And I think other people are going to be jumping on that. I want to say to all of you, if you have enjoyed this episode as much as I have and want to be part of our growing community, please take a moment and like and subscribe and share your thoughts in the comments. Your engagement really fuels the momentum of the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight and helping us spread the word on how powerful communication and speaking can truly transform your professional game. And I will close with, you know, it's so good to have been with you. I'm Kelly O'Hara and once again, I am so glad to have had you with us. Remember that in the world of communication, where communication is king, speaking is the key to success. So tune in and to our next episode, I'm going to keep it a surprise who's coming up next, but I'm very excited about it. And you'll be hearing about 
the next speakers that are coming up, you will not believe who's coming. And I will tell you if, if it's anything like the interview I had today with Chris Benning, you're gonna love it. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to talking to you soon. I want to thank you for joining us on this episode of the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight. We hope you enjoyed this deep dive once again into the remarkable stories and insights of our incredible guests. Their experiences and wisdom are not just meant to inspire you, but to provide you with actionable steps to take on your own path to success. Remember, you have a story to tell and your voice has the power to transform your business and make lasting impact. If you found value in today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an empowering conversation. We'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a review and share the show with your friends, colleagues, and your fellow visionaries. Until next time, keep speaking, keep growing, and keep reaching to make your difference. This is Kelly O'Hara signing off from the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight. Music